Hello and welcome back to ESPN Scrum Resets. Sam Bruce in Sydney and uh, a slightly jet lagged, a slightly uh, Guinness induced Christy Doran joining us all the way from Dublin uh, for the first time as the Raw's chief rugby correspondent. Mate, uh, congratulations, number one, on the uh, the change of employment. Going to work for uh, an old boss of yours and an old boss of mine, Tony Harper. Hello to Harps. Um, congratulations on that. Um, and uh, how are things in Dublin? Yeah, oh, look, I know you've known about this for a little while, uh, a bit of a change, and uh, it's probably been a little, little probably in the pipeline for a good month or or more perhaps, but um, great to be at the Raw. It's like an organisation at the moment that uh, clearly is prioritising rugby, which is great because Australian rugby needs more people talking about the game. Um, but I think also just, you know, the way that rugby set up for the next five years is a great opportunity to capitalise on hopefully a bit of momentum, um, maybe perhaps lost momentum off the back of the weekend in Italy. But good to be in Dublin. I just caught up with Tommy Decent down the road and had a Guinness or two. And um, good to good to be here. I can tell you it's cold. And uh, walking back from the pub there down at Temple Bar where a few boys might have gotten into a bit of trouble back in 2013. I can tell you it started that typical Irish kind of rain where it's not raining hard enough. It's not like Australian rain where it's really heavy and it comes down. It was just that, um, you know, there's the bite in the air. There's a bit of wind. It's not too far away from the sea here. So set up for a week and, you know, gorgeous day today, but uh, the weather's kind of coming over the next few days. So these Australians will get a really strong grip of what it's like to play in the UK and Ireland at the moment. Yeah, great spot, the Temple Bar. Uh, you can certainly get yourself into a bit of strife down there. And uh, yes, look at Dublin, Decent and Doran are in town. Um, as you mentioned, uh, a bit of lost momentum clearly on the weekend in Florence. Uh, the Wallabies beaten 28-27 by Italy in a uh, result that's really sent... Um, Shockwave is probably not the wrong word, but plunged um, Australia, Australian rugby further into chaos, into, you know, even deeper levels of mediocrity. Um, it's an interesting one to look at. That's the one, Christy, and you and I have obviously consumed a, a lot of media over the last few days. Um, we've spent time going over this game, um, had many chat on on WhatsApp, and it's uh, I'm struggling with where the blame lies for this personally. I know all the heat's been on Dave Rennie for making the 11 changes um, that turned out to be 12 with the late withdrawal of, of Nick Frost, of course. Um, but I tend to agree with him that this team that was named was still good enough to do the job and they did not. And that's the problem. And that's, it's got to be as much on them as it is on Dave Rennie. Uh, I think you've probably got a slightly different view obviously the 16 penalties is the the big issue that stands out and that is an inherent issue within this Wallabies team isn't it and perhaps that is on Dave that he hasn't worked out a way yet to fix this inherent issue with all these silly penalties but you think of the one that Jake Gordon gave away the one that Tom Robertson gave away so I know the pylon has been on Dave Rennie uh certainly across the board for as much as I've seen but uh, to me, a fair bit of the blame has got to go to the 23 players who ran out in the gold jersey on Saturday. Yeah, and that's that's fair. And look, maybe presumptuous that uh, that I'm perhaps um, advocating it's more of a, a Dave Rennie kind of issue. This look, Dave Rennie can coach. There's no doubt about it. Um, and people that have been coached by him, and what I'm understanding from players over here at the moment, I don't think there's necessarily a 
inherent coaching issue here at the moment. But when it comes to selection, I go back to it and you look at a few different sides that have played against Italy over the years and, and it goes back to some of the things that I was looking at in 2006 and we spoke about in the past when guys like George Gregor might have been left behind. They only won that game by a converted try after being down by half-time and they've still got the likes of Stephen Larkham there, Sterling Mortlock, Lottie DeKiri, um, uh, the forward pack had George Smith, a lot of quality players that would be, you know, rank inside the better players of this century at least. And yet they got out of jail. I don't think the Wallabies, with the amount of injuries that they've had, guys like Michael Hoop that have had a long stint away from the game, you know, Andrew Kellaway missed a large chunk of the rugby championship. Why do these guys need to have an extra week off? I can understand James Slither and Rob Valentini. The two of them have played a lot of minutes. They've played a lot of test minutes. They've had to shoulder a lot of the burden because there hasn't been an out-and-out eight replacement on the bench because it's often been a Pete Samu who's covered that six or seven position or um, Angus Bell's missed the rugby championship and and there perhaps isn't quite the strength and there's quite a drop-off in class perhaps there. But I don't think that these players needed to be rested and, and some of them could have been put on the bench. I think of Bernard Foley. He's hardly played for six months and then he comes back, plays a couple of Bledisloe games uh, and then he's played the previous two. I, I like the idea of, of giving an opportunity to a Noel Olaseo at 10, similarly Fraser McRide at seven, but why can't you have a Mike Wooper and a Bernard Foley on the bench? Uh, you know, the experience there, the composure, when you look around the trenches and you go, what's like something's going wrong here, who do you turn to? And you, you want to have some experience there. I didn't think there was enough experience coming on and that was a huge concern. And I don't think there's, I didn't see it as a surprise. And I said it to, I had a drink before um, and I arrived in London on Saturday morning and, and wasn't covering the game live, which is a very rare thing, probably the first time in many, many years that that's occurred. And I caught up with different journalists from England before the game at Twickenham. I said to them, oh, I think the Wallabies dead set can lose this. Like, I know you guys are taking for granted. I think England is going to smash Japan. I think they're going to make a statement. But Australia is playing a side pretty much ranked, I think, lower than um, uh, lower than Japan. Yeah, well, they were, yeah. There wasn't – yeah, so there's no confidence there whatsoever that these guys could have won. And I and I agree just, you know, before we go back to you there to see what you have to say, but penalties, discipline, that is a thing that needs to be – um, really come down hard, hard at, and I think particularly, um, you know, I've heard from a few different people that only recently has it become apparent that things need to be corrected. Te- proper technique needs to be corrected at training sessions. It hasn't necessarily come down with an iron fist until only recently. Those sorts of things that you know, proper technique are crucial, and I'm surprised to have heard that. Um, but I think when you've got so many wholesale changes, you have players that 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 uh, a Fraser McRide or a Noel Olaseo who's who tries harder than perhaps that they need to, you know, looks for the individual moment, overplays their hand because they haven't played for a long time. They're looking to do something to provide some spark to show and prove their worth, and uh, the lack of continuity continuity and cohesion there was so obvious you know from a 
Mark Nawanganita Wasi flick pass in the 39th minute that I think was dropped either by Noel Alceo or Anta Paisami. I couldn't see the number there, but that's the sort of thing that if you know what that player does, they do that. And similarly, Tate McDermott once or twice caught in no man's land, clearly went for a run, but had no runner there and thought, geez, I've got to kick the ball, otherwise I'm going to get belted and we're probably going to lose in the breakdown. Those sorts of things don't happen when you know what your teammates do. Yeah, they had a kick to win it, of course, Ben Donaldson. Uh, and that's perhaps another thing that, that Rennie, I think, rightfully is is getting it in the teeth for at the moment, um, giving a bloke on debut four minutes to come on in a situation when the game was was clearly in the balance. Um, we spoke about the decision to replace uh, Bernard Foley with Hodge, Reese Hodge the week earlier. So I, I think he's got to... Uh, he's got to own those two decisions in the last two weeks and say that he got those wrong. Um, certainly Ben Donaldson would expect to kick that conversion um, that he pushed to the right there after Caden Neville's try. But it's a big ask on a player on debut to come in and try and find his feet yeah. in a game that's in the balance when there's... And, and this is essentially what it was. It was a game with everything to lose and, and nothing to gain. You know, now this game goes down as the first time the Wallabies have ever been eaten, but sorry, eaten, beaten even by Italy and in 19 games, if they win it, then it's quickly forgotten as a 19th win over Italy, and we don't really ever we move swiftly on to Ireland next week. So that, there was there was always that element to it, wasn't it? That there was there was no nothing at all to be gained apart from getting a few fringe players like you and I have mentioned through this season, and we had a, a full podcast on getting Fraser McWright more game time, and he saw some of that through the rugby championship clearly while Michael Hooper was away, um, Noel Olaseo as well. So. I mean, did we learn anything about these types of guys? Um, did this fixture do them any favours? Uh, where is Noel Olaseo at now, do you think, given that um, it's very much looking like certainly that, that Quade Cooper is is the number one, that Bernard, Bernard Foley, you would have to say now, is the number two. Uh, is Noel going to be in a real struggle now, do you think, for that third 10 spot with a Ben Donaldson, with a Tane Edmed, do you think? Um, will they take three tens to the, the World Cup? Um, uh, some feedback this week uh, that I've read is that they didn't think he played too badly, took the the ball to the line um, and played clearly 76 minutes as well. So um, Fraser McBride, another one, we know um, that uh, the number seven, Waratah's number seven, um, whose name has just completely gone out of my head. Uh, Charlie, Charlie Gamble. Charlie Gamble, thank you very much, is waiting in the wings. So was this yeah. fixture for these two guys and perhaps some others, you know, as well as the defeat, clearly, and an embarrassing one at that. Um, has this done their reputation some harm? I'm going to come to that because it's a really good point and something I actually pondered as I walked through the rain back uh, from te- in the Temple Bar region was, was around Quade Cooper. But you said there that there was nothing to gain about Italy. And I, I, don't, I disagree. Firstly... Andy Marinos pre-tour said three matches is a pass match, three wins is a pass match. So at the very least, to have to go into Italy knowing that you've won two, uh, sorry, to go into Ireland knowing that you've won two, uh, there was a one-point draw against France. That, at that point in time, is a reasonable start to your tour. Um, there was a lot of kudos. There was a lot of positivity uh, with the exception, and I think they're quite right, um, reception from uh, Drew Mitchell, who said we shouldn't be celebrating close to, you know, narrow defeats and perhaps gallant performances. But I go back to Eddie Jones here, similar situation. Eddie Jones is under a lot of heat. And every time that you speak to an English journo, they're they're talking about 
Eddie Jones needs to be sacked. They need to go to an English coach. It's relentless, and it's been relentless for years. Yet, Eddie Jones is England has gone out and they've smashed Japan. When is the last time Australia's beaten a side a side with real conviction and from the outset dominated and bossed a game? You know, they they beat Argentina convincingly in the first match of the Rugby Championship, but that came through one or two late tries. It was pretty helter skelter. It wasn't necessarily convincing right until the end. England did. And that to me was like, okay, there's a clear separation between, you know, the five or six best sides in the, in the world who um, can on any day beat one another and the rest at the moment with Australia, it, it goes back years and years since you can say that a Wallaby side was completely convincing against a T1 or a T2 comp, uh, side, you know, even through the World Cup recently in 2019, really struggled to show their authority against Georgia and Uruguay at times. Yep. To, to answer your question regarding um, the players, Noah Lolaseo, Fraser McWright, who stood up, I thought Mark Nwanganidawasi stood up. I think defensively was outstanding showed glimpses of what he can do in attack. I would have loved to have seen Ben Donson be able to hit the mark there for Mark Nwanganidawasi on the on the wing, and that perhaps might have been the, the match sealer there. Um, right idea, and I like to see that. Someone that has, you know, I'm going to say the balls to do that because they were practising that this afternoon all day long, and you look at a guy like the specimen that he has, he's got legs like Israel Folau, soars through the air. He's a guy that stocks went up. Fraser McWright and Pete Samu, the balance of those two at seven and eight never seemed right for me. Um, you can't play the two of them in the same side. Neither of them have enough so, uh, size to have the two of them together. And it's probably why you won't ever see Michael Hooper and, and Pete Samu really in that side either. Um, as for Noel see, I thought what Quade Cooper does, and it's you know, he's approaching potentially a fourth World Cup, is he controls a game, doesn't he? He has the tempo. He, he knows when to pull the trigger now. Um, there's a poise. Defenders hold off him. Um, you don't see that with Noel Olaseo at the moment. It's all helter-skelter, and, and you never know whether or not he's going to run, pass, kick. It doesn't seem like he's got time up his sleeve, and that's always been a great indicator of, of great playmakers. Do they have time? Quade Cooper is so important to this Wallaby side now going forward. And I think more so than ever, and it's becoming more apparent than ever before that he's a guy more so, I think, than Bernard Foley that has time. We've always known he's got the skills, but he's now developed the poise and and, and he's finally probably learnt to, to how to play a game without his blistering sidestep that he used to just cut defenders in half. I don't. I, I think that if Quade Cooper is in the side, this Wallabies team is capable of anything. But you know, Bernard Foley's a, a good player, a good second choice at the moment. Um, but but a lot rests, I think, on Quade Cooper going back. I don't think they'll take three playmakers, specialist tens, to the World Cup. Um, two at the two at most, and they'll have Reese Hodge there as the third ten, and, and he might play against it. Aside, not like Georgia potentially the first test, but that final test against Qualify, U- yeah. Uruguay, um, he may play that, or they might go forty minutes, forty minutes. But I can't see how you get three tens. And given that Dave Rennie's been so indecisive about his nines, 
it's more likely, I think, that he'll push for three specialist nines, two tens with Reese Hodge capable of jumping in. And you never know if Kirtley Peel manages to have a strong season. He can cover 10, 15, 12. And I think he's the only player in the Wallabies and Australian rugby at the moment that can cover 10, 12, and 15. And when you look at a bench configuration, that to me really shines out. I wonder, will Ben Donaldson get a crack against Wales? Do you think now we know Bernard Foley is only available this week before returning to Japan? So clearly one to keep an eye on in two weeks. Um, now we're expecting that the Gitto law will change next year, that whether it goes to open slather or suddenly goes from three to five players, we're, we're not just sure. But another player who's clearly going to come into those calculations, and I thought was along with Nwanganitawasi, um, the Wallabies' best, was Will Skelton in midfield. And you and I yeah. have been um on and on about this for you know this time last year again earlier this year um and certainly i think finally we saw how the wallabies can use him with great effect rumbling forward in midfield off line outs um taking him out of the line out and hitting him up in that kind of midfield role that we you know grace hamilton probably the best example of it in recent times there for the wallaroos during the world cup um was busy around the edges. Uh, and every time he, he looked like he was at least bending the line, I think it was a match high 10, 10 runs. And, and that's exactly what you want from a guy like Will Skelton. You want him to be that momentum builder for you to get you on the front foot, to, to have that defensive line, at least backtracking one or two steps because the Wallabies, as we know, are struggling so much at the breakdown at the moment. And again, that was, was subpar with the Italian back rowers having a field day. So um <sighs> If it does remain at three, Christy, I mean, who who's going to be the odd man out there? Not that we think it will, but uh, putting on the spot here is is Will Skelton still that that number four there behind a Karevi, a Corabetti, and a Cooper? Can you afford to pick three backs as your three overseas players? Um, you know, it's a it's a tough call, even though we think this situation will change. Yeah, if you if you're doing a three at the moment, I think. The Wallabies haven't had the luxury and Dave Rooney hasn't had the luxury of seeing what Isaac Rodder can do. And I think he's crucial to this side because he's a guy that's great at particularly hitting rucks. Really good in the line out, pretty good in the ruck, uh, sorry, in the mall, but very good at the ruck and hitting hitting them consistently. If he comes back, it changes a little bit, I think. Uh, I think they can go for... Um, you know, they'll take a Darcy Swain potentially on the bench. But I, I think you're right. Will Skelton's got a power element that no one else in Australian rugby can offer at the moment. There's not a single lock in Australia currently that can have the damaging impact that Will Skelton offers. And you compare it to guys like uh, Brody Retallick or uh, Yeager or Eden Metzabeth. Um, I, I don't... I don't, and, and the Irish second rollers have a, a strong, powerful, robust runners, and we'll get a good glimpse of that this weekend too. Um, I think he's important. I thought he was used pretty well, and we saw what he can do to get across the advantage line, but I thought it was too predictable at the same time off, off line outs. It was, you know, we knew what was happening. I'd like to just see him pick up the ball, you know, at times and just run and, and, and play a little bit tighter. I think it's a bit, you know, we, we saw a lot of Jake Gordon missing the first guy on either side and, and skipping out. And it's and it's too predictable, I think, for defences. They know what's coming. Um, they're not playing tight enough. I don't think the Australian rugby 
outside. They don't manipulate the defence left and right. We're going to get another good glimpse of what the Irish do because they do that exquisitely. Um, playing both ways and, and sucking in defence and then being able to use the ball. The Wallabies still don't often you you know earn the right to go go wide and and it's been something you know one of the things that Tim Hoare often talks about is having you know earning the right to to go wide um but yes to to answer your question though I I also think that it won't be three next year I think it might not necessarily be open slather but I can see as many as five coming into the picture and and maybe that is both a Rory Arnold and a Will Skelton and, and the three backs that we named. We still don't know whether or not Cooper and Samu Karevi will come back and completely be recovered. Whether or not you would even take either both of them at, at 80% or 85%. Well, it's it's, it's got to be a risk, hasn't it? It has to be a risk. And, and you look at the other guys like Matt Phillip and Rob Leota, these guys will be super short of a gallop because they're going to pretty much miss the entire Super Rugby season. Uh, it, it's really difficult to see those two particularly making it. You know, some of the other guys like Rodder and, and Lockie Swinton, I still see a role for Lockie Swinton because he can provide something, um, an injection of explosiveness, a fear kind of for an opposition defence um, and an attack that very few other players in a Wallabies pack can offer. So it'll be interesting. I saw England on the weekend and some of the units that they brought on, I thought their bench configuration was perfect. You saw a Billy Bonapola come on. You saw a Mako Bonapola. You saw a Manu Tuolangi. The amount of size that they brought on was, it was, I was sitting next to Craig McRae, the Collingwood AFL coach, and he was blown away by the size, not just those guys, but also Freddie Stewart, uh, fullback, who had a great game. You know, the bench configuration and how these players, and it wouldn't necessarily Will Skelton, how they use him this weekend will be fascinating because Ireland and Leinster, when Leinster have been beaten, they've been bullied. They've been beaten and bullied by big French packs or a big Saracens pack, which has a Mauro Toja and the, and the Bonapolo brothers and previously a George Cruz and those sorts of figures. That's a way to, that the Wallabies can get up and at this Irish side is being really confrontational in the forward pack and, and dominating that space and particularly the set piece. But if they don't do that, you're going to see guys like a Josh Van der Flair and, and, and their amazing back row with the Peter Omanis of the world just absolutely stifle anything that they try to offer. Yeah, Freddie Stewart probably look pretty good at full forward uh, for the Magpies in black and white, you would suspect, given his aerial good shout. prowess. Um, mate, before we, we wrap this up, what are the, what are some of the fallout, I guess, from this result then? Um, we know that there's uh, going to be a review of the, the tour when, when the Wallabies get back. Dave Rennie will present to the board and, and the rugby committee of Phil War and, and Daniel Herbert. Um, I mean, I don't think we feel like his his position is in jeopardy at this point. And and I don't think anyone can honestly say that making a coaching change now would be in the best interests of this Wallaby squad moving forward. People will say that, that Michael Checker came in at a similar time. Well, yes, but he'd had an also at the start of that spring tour. So he had at least, I think it was maybe a Barbarians game and and three tests to to get his um his tenure off uh, when he replaced you and McKenzie there and in crazy scenes um, following that Bledisloe result uh, in Queensland. Um, but, I mean, pressure's mounting, isn't it? You can't hide from that. The The record is now 
four and eight, I think, for the season. Um, they they play particularly um, poorly on occasion, and and the big thing is that they just can't find any measure of consistency. Their their performance against France, apart from the ending and a couple of missed tackles, was you know probably second only to their their effort in Adelaide for sixty minutes against the Springboks, um, or the the twenty minutes they played. Um, to come home and run over the top of England with with 14 men on the paddock at the start of the year. Um, but in terms that was that was such a a real high for them last week. And and I know, you know, 12 changes makes a dip, big difference, but um it's got to be a squad mentality and and to back that up, um, that French performance up with with what they dished up on the weekend was just incredibly disappointing and and continues this this narrative of a team that that just cannot string games back to back. So um, where, I mean, rumblings at, at Moore Park, I know you're over there, but you've got your ear to the ground. You've been speaking to people. Where are things at in terms of, I guess, Dave Rennie's position moving forward? Yeah, everyone will be conscious of the fact that when they play Wales, the Welsh will be missing some of their overseas base players, guys like Dan Bigger and so forth. And, and that was the same with Scotland. They were missing Stuart Hogg. We know that Finn Russell came back over the weekend. There was no Johnny Gray, some of the bigger players that they have in that in that side that pushed the All Blacks, as we know. And they felt very disappointed that they didn't get to complete the job, finish the job there. My, my understanding that everything is on the tape, if there was to be two terrible performances, I can't see Dave Renning stand, um, remaining as well as his coach. Um, I think that they need to have some form of showing against the Irish, which I think they will. I think this Wolby side has the uh, remarkable ability to win games where everyone writes them off and lose games where everyone thinks that they're a shorting or a banker, or, as we saw against Italy on the weekend. I think they will, they will have a strong performance. Whether or not they can finish it off and they can win, oh, we'll, we'll see. Clearly, this Irish side's a good one. I don't think that they're quite as good as what people make them out to be. But a few injury concerns to, this week too, yeah. Yeah, and and fair play to the Irish media and the Irish squad, um, you know, structure for for releasing those sorts of things because it gives great transparency about where people are and it keeps the fans in the know. Yeah, I, I think that they need to win at least one of the two, but I think they also need to make a, a, a good performance against the Irish. Otherwise, there'll be serious concerns. There's there's been huge like a lot of back and forth between board members, high-performance people, outsiders. Um, that was an embarrassing result, which has implications or add as well with sponsorships. And I know for a fact that some sponsors were at the Italy test and were left far from impressed by what they saw. And when people were trying to make pull off big deals to bring money and revenue into the game to see a Wallaby side lose to Italy first time ever after a very bumpy few years was not great at all. Um, but, you know, things like an independent selector, I think, will come in. I think that is guaranteed that they'll come in for next year because the selection at this, this year has just been um, sporadic. It's not, there's not been any structure. There's not been any real logic to it. Um, we've seen guys get opportunities that won't be here in Australia next year. We've seen other guys rotated in and out. You know, Dave Rennie spoke on the weekend that, oh, we didn't make as many changes 
uh, we had we made just as many changes from the, the you know from the Scotland to the French test to the, into the Italy test. Well, no, that's not actually true. They made about four changes to the siding line lineup for that French match, and then twelve for the next. So you know, three times as many. So it's a really crucial next two weeks, and and there'll be lots of figureheads as always are for world rugby meetings towards the back end of this kind of period of time. So there's a lot of people in town probably over the next week or two. Yeah. Yeah. Some interesting days ahead. No doubt. Uh, before we wrap up, mate, a couple of um, other big games clearly on the weekend, you mentioned um, New Zealand, Scotland at Murrayfield. Um, really enjoyed this one uh, watching the replay yesterday morning um, to start the day. Uh and geez, I felt for the Scots. Uh, they might not get a, a better opportunity to beat the All Blacks for for quite some time. Um, they were up, uh, I think it was twenty one fourteen at uh, there at one point. Um, with all the momentum, we're playing all the rugby sort of between about the twenty five to to sixty minute mark after going down fourteen nil and fighting back so well. Um, but just a couple of big plays. There was the tackle that forced Darcy Graham to put maybe a centimetre of his boot on the touchline there just before halftime, the the brilliant cover tackle from Scott Barrett to deny Stuart Hogg in, in eerily similar circumstances to a few years ago when it was his brother Bowden who made that classic tackle. Um, either of those tries and and the Scots are out to a 14-point lead and that just makes it that much harder for, for the All Blacks to come back. But as we know, they do. Um, they rallied and, and managed to finish over the top. So... Um, disappointing for Scots and their hunt for a first win over uh, over the All Blacks will stretch into I think that was 117 years, so um, it's it's going to go on a little longer. Yeah, and and look, Jack Dempsey gets a yellow card, and I'm sure he'll be absolutely shouted about that because it was a huge turning point in the game when you got you know they they go back and they might not necessarily always score the points, but it's the fact that you lose a guy for a while, everyone has to work harder. It's the back end of a game that was that was a massive moment, but. Finn Russell, good to see him back. He's a guy that uh, people loved coming to watch because he's one of the real mavericks, one of the real entertainers of the game. I think it's awesome that he played. and uh, I thought he did a pretty good job too. So uh, the Scots are certainly a chance of surprising a side next year at the World Cup. No one's expecting them to get out of the quarterfinals, but you never know. I don't think people are expecting them to get out of the pool at the moment because they have, of course, yes. have got Ireland yeah. and South Africa. Yeah, yeah, sorry, and that's and that's what I meant rather. But you know, it wouldn't surprise me if 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 one of those two nations slips up against them because you know when Razi Erasmus is is firing up every second second at at referee decisions and you know he's a man that's losing his mind I think at the moment. But you know that's a talking point in itself. But it is so so competitive at the moment in international rugby, which really at the end of the day is. It's great, and and we've not seen international rugby quite like it, where you go every match, something could happen. We'll come to Rassi in a second, um, but just before we leave the All Blacks, can you believe Artie Savia has been left off a uh, uh, the four man shortlist for the World Rugby Player of the Year? Uh, we've got Antoine Dupont, Sexton, Lacanio Am, and Josh Van der Fleer, the four nominees, so two Irishmen, a Frenchman, and a South African. Um, Look, I, I don't think you begrudge either um, Van der Fleer or, or Sexton and Mr. Chunk of the um, the rugby championship this year and, and DuPont didn't go to Japan and got a red card on the weekend. So, I mean, 
Yeah, interesting selections. Um, but how you can leave Artie uh, off that list of guys played just about every test, I think, this year for the All Blacks bar, maybe. Uh, I think he missed the first bledis, though, with the birth of his his child and um, maybe one on this tour as well. So, um, But in terms of a, a guy who is consistently performing week in, week out, and usually among the, the top three All Blacks, if not the best on the paddock every game, um, I find that uh, mind-boggling. Yeah, as I do. I thought he should have been World Player of the Year in, in 2019. And they went with Peter Steptitoit, who was phenomenal, and he was outstanding. And I don't think he's recaptured the same form since his injury not that long after that. But, um, yeah, Artie Sathev can feel, you know, they probably tossed up between him and Josh Vanderflair. And I think Josh Vanderflair had an unbelievable series down in New Zealand and yeah. was probably one of the real reasons why they won. Maybe Johnny Sexton out of those four, oh, I think, is probably the luckiest to get on there. I think Sexton won the, the World Player of the Year in 2018. Um, and it was interesting then you mentioned Anton Tupont. It wouldn't surprise me if he, he gets it. Um, but but he, that was the first yellow or red card that France has dished up this year. And that's extraordinary. You compare that to Australia and they've had 12. Yeah. So... It, it tells you, I think, everything you need to know. The French, who Joe Verini considers the best side in the world, to an Australian side, which has now dropped to ninth in the world. Uh, on the French, uh, a, another gripping test match from the weekend down in Marseille. And geez, doesn't the Stade Velodrome look like a place oh. to be next uh, this time next year? Um, it was absolutely rocking. Uh, 60,000, I think, there. Uh, the quarterfinals, two of the quarterfinals will be there along with. Uh, the Stade de France in, in Paris, of course, and they've got, I think, three or four other games through the through the pool stage, clearly. But, um, yeah, the, the place was heaving. Uh, it was a dramatic opening, obviously, with Peter Steph de Toy, um, that man you just mentioned, getting a red card for, for a headbutt, um, albeit with potentially a little bit of an assist from Quagga Smith. Smith sorry. Um, and then DuPont, as I mentioned, got a red card for a dangerous aerial collision, almost exactly the same as... Kurtley Arunza on Bowden Barrett during the rugby championship um, in the way that uh, he collected him and, and how both players came down. Um, yeah, plenty of talking points in this one, but the biggest post-match uh, script has clearly been Rassi Erasmus. Um, I'm going to call it carrying on now because it's hit the point of being just completely ridiculous for me. These clips that he's putting out on, on social media, on Twitter, there was one to start with after the game and then he fired up again on Sunday with four separate rough cut videos of, of individual instances in the game that he spliced together to convey the fact that he believes that the Springboks aren't getting the rub of the green. Now, um, yes, surely the forward pass that was called was, was a bit silly. No doubt about that. But the other ones, I, I mean, these are minute incidents in the game that he's isolating. And I'm sure France coach um, Fabian Galti could absolutely do the same and, and cut up just as many instances of where he feels le bleu were hard done by, but I, I know he's a revered figure in South Africa. The, the, the documentary that's, um, you know, done the rounds now has probably only added to that. Um, but this peddling of this idea that there's a conspiracy against the Springboks at international level is just beyond a joke. And I, I clearly, I, I don't think it's doing his team any favors when it comes to match day either. Like if you're a world rugby referee, subconsciously you're seeing this, this individual, you know, editing suite, Razzie sitting at home. And I'm sure he's probably not the guy that's, that's doing the, the, the cutting, but um, what he's putting out there now is, is embarrassing. And 
I mean, I don't know if he's just fringing on the borderline of, of breaking world rugby rules around this, but if I'm the South African president, which I, I think is still Yuri Roo, um, I'd be having a word to him say, mate, look, we, you, you got to let this go because he just looks foolish. Sammy, I completely agree. And I don't think I could have said it any better, really. This is complete and utter blight on the game and World Rugby needs to stamp it out immediately. I think if there was a single other coach in the world that World Rugby would have come out giving them warnings. And we've seen that over the years from Eddie Jones to Dave Rennie. Coaches aren't allowed to question the integrity um, of, of the coaches, uh, sorry, of the referees. And we've seen... We see players get disciplined for back chat. We see players not be able to say things. Why have we got a coach coming out and questioning every single minute, as you called it, minute decision on the field? These are things that can get clipped up left, right and centre. There's probably a penalty that can be found at every second ruck. Um, What it does for the game is a terrible image. It goes down the rugby league route. And I know that rugby league's only really watched in Australia and different parts of around, you know, neighbouring countries and small sections of France and, and England. But uh, we shouldn't be going down this slippery slope because it's it's a terrible look for the boys and the girls that are growing up and watching it, questioning it on a Saturday or Sunday. Um, you know, the, the you know, adults questioning it. We, we don't want this... At, filtering through to the game it's one of the great things that when a player gets yellow carded or red carded they cop it they walk off the field we've now got a referee um, a coach who's taken matters in his own hands gone completely and utterly rogue and he's got to really shut up or or get booted out because there needs to be a head of his ascension in my opinion issued and dished out to Rassi Erasmus for what he's doing at the moment and there are proper channels to do this sort of thing, aren't there? There is, you, you talk with a referee's boss. We we think back to Jerome Garcia's decision in the Bledisloe, which you and I spoke about at length, and everyone in Australian rugby was was blowing up or certainly had an, a, an opinion about. Um, but Dave Rennie took his, you know, his thoughts, his um, his concerns with with world rugby and, and got the response that, yeah, they probably didn't think that was the the right call. So so maybe it's this position that, that Rassi isn't actually the coach. So he doesn't go to the post-match presser. That's on Jacques Nienober and the and the skipper Sia Khaleesi. Um, so he just sits in the background and, and does this this sort of thing. And um, you know, I, I completely agree. The world rugby must act on this. They've already let it go on too far. Um and and only you know this is only feeding this this South African narrative, and and I'm sure we've got some Springboks supporters who listen to this podcast, and I'd love to get your feedback on on how you feel about how Rassi is is acting at the moment. Whether you you know you you back him 100, and it's you know the rest of the world that's got this wrong, or that you actually are embarrassed by what um, your director of rugby is putting up at the moment, because it's um, to me it's 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 beyond the pale. Yeah, and you know what? He should be the coach. He should not be the director of rugby of South Africa because he's the guy that can coach. The results have been completely and utterly inconsistent since Neymar took over, and he's a lovely bloke that can talk and talk, but at the end of the day, Razzy Erasmus is the heart and the soul of what this Springbok side is about. Um I feel that they won't progress past the semifinals, potentially even quarterfinals, whilst Jacques Nimba 
Harper is still in charge. I'm going to put that out there now. I think that this side is one that reeks of questioning. um, And it's when we saw this with Michael Checker at times through the latest, latter stages of his coaching tenure with the Wallabies, when when figures start questioning others and laying blame and, and it, it never, it's always spells a disaster because it's not taking proper accountability and it filters through the entire squad. Here, here. Uh, mate. All right. I think that's a pretty good wrap. Uh, you're pretty weary. Better let you go and get some shut eye. What's on for the rest of the week? Obviously a, a press conference, heavy week ahead. Um, is sneaking any little bit of sightseeing or your first trip to Dublin? Uh, what are we talking? It's the first trip to Dublin in quite a few years, but it's a 7.30am start tomorrow um, just south of Dublin here with Bernard Foley and Nick White going to be talking. Um, we'll get to watch a bit of the, the training session uh, in the middle part of the day, ducking over to the Irish press conferences. I believe Mac Hansen is going to be one of four Irish um, players up. So And a nominee for Breakthrough Player of the Year, Mac Hansen. Uh, also, Ange... Caputzo from from Italy. So it was like a double whammy that little uh, dropping that little award, uh, those nominees as well by World Rugby. Just another little dagger in uh, the heart of the Australian rugby fan this week. You're not wrong. But that that award is actually a really interesting one. Like those two that you just mentioned there, you know, Caputzo, his two tries on the weekend Brilliant. were outstanding. You know, the set piece play there was was amazing. It was. It was fluent. It was beautiful. But what he did against the Welsh back in the Six Nations was unbelievable. And if you can go back and watch it and you haven't seen it, do so because it was sheer pace. And it was another another instance, an example of a little guy who's just got pace and a beautiful running technique and the, uh, a natural sense of how to find the try line. One of my favourite players of the year. I think it probably should get the try of the year. And I think it's almost the moment of the year, in my opinion, too. There you go. All right, mate, you have a fantastic week. We look forward to match day on Saturday, uh, 7 a.m. Sunday morning, a much res- much more respectable hour for us back here. We're all a little bit jealous of it, of you. Uh, uh, so, mate, have a great time and we'll uh, we'll talk to you in six, seven days' time. Yeah, looking forward to it. Big couple of weeks and uh, high stakes rugby. So, looking, yeah, looking forward to being here and reporting. So it's good to join Thanks, everyone.